You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. And welcome into Sacks in the Basement. My name is Chris. His name is Ed. Bellying up to the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. All brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Remember to visit them at FamilyDry.com. They do everything. You know, your window wells, your sump pumps, whether or not you got seepage, water coming in. Look, check it all out at FamilyDry.com. Mention Sacks in the Basement. When you contact them, you will get money off. And uh, I will be hanging out. With the owner, one of the owners, it's a husband and wife team of Family Waterproofing Solutions, a week from today, uh, we're going to the ball game together. We were going to do it last year, you know, when they first came out with Sacks in the Basement. Now, 100%. And he's telling me, he's like, let's go to a ball game. And Roger Bossard won't need to worry because somebody else is in the house to help him keep the field dry. Exactly. Exactly, Ed. Let me tell you something about the field and the ballpark and my experience on Tuesday night. And no, I did not throw my voice out doing that. Um, It turns out, Ed, that the uh, COVID-19 vaccination only protects against COVID-19. So after you get it and you're safe from getting COVID-19, you can still get like uh, upper respiratory infections, laryngitis, and every other thing that you've been protected from for the last 15 months when you go out in the public. And that's what happened to me. So I'm an absolute wreck. We luckily have Scott Merkin on the show today. I was thinking to myself, like, who can I get that will come on, give a lot of good information, but talks, you know, so he can save my voice? Merck's on today. Yeah, perfect. There you go. But I, I want to tell you this. I'm at the game, and I have now observed the cup snake phenomenon. And you don't know what this is, do you? No. What's what's the cup snake phenomenon? All right. This is a new thing now that fans are doing in the uh, left field bleachers, which, by the way, is one of the rowdiest things I've ever seen at any sporting event. I have now been to four games. It gets rowdier and rowdier every time I go. Uh, I've seen uh, big fights out there. I've seen the wave begin out there. Please stop that. That is not meant for baseball. And it's insulting to the players when you're doing it in key situations late in the game. Knock it off. All right? Right. It's, It's not us. The cup snake, though, is an interesting phenomenon. They have been taking, and this is incredible, coming out of the age of COVID, used cups with everybody's backwash in it. Yeah. And whatever's left, whatever whatever juices are in there and fluids are in the in the cups. Right, okay. And strangers are, are lining up and making a snake from the front of the stands to the back of the stands in this giant snake form. Now, the White Sox got a little upset, from what I can tell, about a week or so ago when a close play at first base was reviewed and it would have been the final out. And it wasn't, and they had to keep playing. But what happens is at the end of the game, the cup snake explodes into a shower of backwash and leftover fluid. Oh, God. All over all the other fans standing around it, and the cups end up on the field. Now, this tomfoolery has upset the White Sox, obviously, because as I'm watching from the 300 level on Tuesday night with my lovely wife, and it was the first game she had been to, and she kept saying to me, like, he, she is not a White Sox fan from birth. No, she's, this is, this is, she's a transplant. Right. She's a transplant. She never had a baseball team. She would have been in the Pirates market, but she, she didn't really care about them. Her dad's a Royals fan. Who wants to follow those guys? 
So she's just never in the baseball. She's a football fan. She's a Steelers fan. But she adapted the White Sox because of me. She moved to Chicago. And we won a World Series within like the first like 15 months she was here. So to her. So she's good luck is what you're saying. Exactly. This is her team. But as somebody who, who kind of observes the game a little bit differently than a diehard, she first of all commented on the energy in the ballpark being incredible. And she was at the blackout game in 08 with me. So for her to say that, like she's seen it a lot, but she said that. And then she's looking at this cup snake and she's like, this, this section's insane down here. Cause we're down the, we're down the third base line, looking down at the left field bleachers. And the first thing that happens is about the second inning security comes down and takes all the cups away. Well, you, you, you figure that they're going to do that. They started too soon with the cup snake. One fan thought it was wise to throw a cup at a security guard. That was a mistake. He was let out. You could see that. Then you felt like, well, the cup snake's not coming out tonight. No, no, no. The crowd then hid their cup snake until late in the game. When the cup snake magically appears over the course of only about three, four pitches and runs all the way up from the front to the back of one of the sections in left field. At this point, an usher in a red shirt, so this is one of the red shirt ushers, not security, takes it upon herself to try to break up the cup snake. Oh, that's a mistake. She made a terrible error in judgment. That, that's a terrible idea. She went down there and thought to herself, how do I break up this cup snake, one against an entire section? I'll start hitting the cup snake, because she's shorter, it looked like, and popping the cups up in the air to break up the cup snake. The moment she does that, they're like, well, I guess we're breaking up the cup snake, cups all over the field. The game has to stop in the middle of Liam Hendricks trying to get a save, which he eventually finishes off on Tuesday night. So, I mean, like, against the Rays, big matchup, cup snake. Now, if they don't want the cup snake, I understand it. But you don't take a bunch of drunks and start throwing their cups in the air to stop them from throwing cups in the air. So the cup snake is going to be an intriguing thing to watch at ball games. That and the chanting and hopefully no more wave. But there's way too much going on in left field. It's a game inside of itself. It is an experience inside of itself. And I will not be bringing my children in there. Uh, maybe the older ones because they can handle the language out there. But I will not be bringing the, uh, the smaller children out to left field this year. I have an idea for the White Sox if you're listening. And I, I don't know that you are. But if you are... Come on, monetize this sucker, just like you do everything else that we do. Cup snake, but during the seventh inning stretch, waste management comes out with a giant dumpster, and the cup snake goes in, and now we're now we're helping America stay clean. Get your official cup snake cups out there. Right. Right. I'm sure the uh, the intoxicated fans out in left field will totally go along with that, Ed. They can do the cup snake the way they're doing it. But just don't blow it up during a save attempt, because if you blow it up and that's what costs Aloy Jimenez when he comes back, you know, he's going out to catch a ball and now he trips over the cups. Now what are you going to do? If that happens, the rest of the stadium is going to kill everybody in left field. That will oh, be the bloodiest yeah, day. Yeah, if you're sitting out left field, I don't care if you contributed a cup or not. If you cause injury to Aloy Jimenez when he gets back because the cup snake exploded while a ball was in flight. Right even while the ball was being grounded out to second base because he could still hurt himself going after it. Yeah, you will You will not be leaving the stadium in one piece. Yeah, the, the massacre of left field will go down as a bigger event than Disco Demolition and the Red Wedding 
of Game of Thrones combined. That's what it will turn into if he's injured by a cup snake. Look, I know we haven't been to a lot of games, but let's remember a few things. The wave is stupid. Knock it off. Don't throw things on the field. Please knock that off as well. And understand that you're not on Twitter anymore. You've spent 15 months sniping at people behind a keyboard. If you say those things to people face-to-face, 15 beers in and left field this summer, you will be a part of a fight. And it will be everybody involved's fault. Let's just remember how to act at a ball game because we got a really good team and I don't want to see a loss caused by left field. On the other hand, I love the energy. I love it. Oh, yeah. I love the energy. Yeah, it's absolutely perfect. Don't cause an injury or a loss. Scott Merkin next. This is Sacks in the Basement. You know, I get muscle aches all the time. I've gone from being able to do whatever I want to and not feeling any pain to basically getting pain for any kind of physical activity. Good news, there's a local family-owned Southside business that provides a CBD topical that will not break the bank. Creaky Bone Balm offers concentrated relief for creaky bones. It is an effective hemp-based CBD in a rejuvenating balm. And guess what? It's made in small batches, always free of preservatives and all natural ingredients. It's great for muscle aches, tension, inflammation, joint pain. You can even use it for skin ailments like burns and dry cracked skin. Right now, go to creakybone.com and use the promo code BASEMENT. Get 20% off your order. And now check out the new 2,500 milligram balm with reduced pricing on their classic balms right now at creakybone.com. Join us on the phone line right now from MLB.com. Covers the White Sox, does a great job of it and gets on this show every once in a while to kind of break down what's going on in and around the team. Scott Merkin on the line. How are you, Scott? Good. How are you doing, Chris? Oh, I appreciate you coming on. I'm doing great. Uh, Look, we talked about a week ago on this show. Uh, about Jake Berger, and I find it interesting that the day after he has his first game at second base, you just talked to Jake Berger. Now, Ed and I had a theory that if the White Sox had to figure things out internally after Madrigal got injured for the year, they could go with a highly defensively skilled player in Danny Mendick, but if they really wanted to add a little pop, if Jake Berger could be moved to second base, he would line up great as a platoon second baseman against left-handed pitching. Now, we floated this as one of our crazy ideas a week ago, and then a week later, he starts his first game ever in the minor leagues at second base. Uh, Did you talk to him about anything? What did you glean off of him when you discussed it with him? Well, what I found out is that, you know, about a week and a half ago, they started uh, going in this direction where he did some work. You know, he he described kind of extensive work. He did taking ground balls, taking double plays, going through – you know, PFPs with the whole infield and that sort of thing during pregame. And uh, last night was his first game. And then, you know, he's going to play again on that on Saturday, the 19th, he told me for Charlotte at uh, second base. And, you know, I didn't get in too much into what he thought was um, the future for this, or if, you know, they told him he was going to, you know, I mean, first of all, it's his first game. You know, I, I, I understand that Gordon Beckham came up to the majors. What was it? 2009 after playing like eight games at third base and became the regular third baseman for the rest of the year. But that's also a different time for the White Sox, you know? So, I mean, but in the same sense, you have a team that could go with a guy who's very well liked and, you know, take a chance on a young guy, just kind of, you know, learning his way as like the ninth guy in, in the lineup. But the way I look at that is a couple of things, just that, you know, he is, 
he told me this, you know, I think when I talked to him right after they played the alternate training site game at guaranteed rate, I think he told me this during spring training and that, you know, he's just looking to find ways to make himself, you know, a major leaguer. And if that means, you know, playing second, playing right, uh, I don't know if he talked about short really, but, you know, playing left, then that's what he'll do. So, you know, versatility is a key thing in the majors. You look at, you know, go look across town. I mean, there's plenty of examples on the Sox too, but, you know, look, look, look what Jake Lamb has done, but I'm talking more of a featured guy across town, Chris Bryan, who is, you know, is known as the third baseman. And I think went like a 20 game stretch where he played like one game at third base, even though he played like 18 of those 20 games. So, you know, the, the better teams have guys that are versatile and uh, you don't know, take a look at Danny Mendick, who's now, you know, one of the second basemen for the White Sox, but excuse me, before Madrigal's injury was playing more in right field and center field and even pitcher, you know? So um, I, I think it's just another option. I, you know, I, I think the Sox going to look at what they have and, and go from there and see what the cost is of adding someone else. But I think right now, Jake Berger is just a guy who is learning a new position, making him more valuable to, you know, as just individually, but also in indirectly making him more, well, directly making him more valuable to the White Sox as an organization as well. And that's just one option. It was kind of a far out and left field idea that we had that you know, there's still a possibility of something the Sox could at least be exploring is, is whether or not Berger could be a contributor, uh, maybe even before this season is over if they need something. But right. the more logical thing and the thing that I think a lot of White Sox fans are waiting for is a deal. I think with so many injuries, the prevailing thought seems to be uh, you can go out and acquire somebody to play in middle infield or be able to go out and play an outfield position for you or have some versatility. Adam Frazier has been thrown out there among other names. What is your feeling? Do you think that the White Sox are actively looking to make a deal right now? And what is the probability that Rick Hahn, who has said that the juice has to be worth the squeeze, meaning he, if he's going to do it, it better be worth it for him to give up prospects to do it. Uh, what do you think his mindset is right now? Yeah, you know, I just talked to the uh, the loan trade acquisition of 2005 White Sox, Jeff Blum, who's on the broadcast there in Houston last night. And excuse me, not exactly a hugely, you know, prominent, I mean, a you know, good ball player, but not like a big splash in that trade deadline. And he ends up, you know, playing a huge role in the in the World, in Game 3 World Series victory in Houston of all places. So I, I think they know the team they have. They know the clubhouse they have. They trust bringing in anyone will fit because they have the clubhouse that can help the guys assimilate. But, you know, this is a team, I've said this before, that's not just, it would be one thing if they had all their chips in for this year, which was kind of what happened, I think, in the Tatis trade. You know, they were going for it that year, not looking beyond that year. They got a guy, great guy, great influence on the younger pitchers and James Shields, who they thought would, you know, add innings. They didn't think he was going to be the ace. They thought he'd be, you know, a middle of the rotation, innings eater type of guy. And at times he wasn't, at times he wasn't very good, but always, you know, a, a positive force for that team. They're not doing that this time around. You know, they want to add. They want to get better. They also believe Luis Roberts coming back this year, barring any kind of setbacks, as well as Michael Kopech will come back, barring any kind of setbacks. So they're not going to make a move to disrupt this core as much as they want to win. And Rick Hahn made that clear, you know, to reporters the other day that, you know, you can't overlook the 2021 title to make sure you're still in the running for the 2023 title. I'm paraphrasing now. But as much as you want to do that, you're not, you know, their main chips seem to be you know, on the big league team already. So, you know, when you have younger guys, you know, like a Kelly or a Dalquist or a Thompson, well, first of all, I think teams are a little slower to move because there was no season last year. So basically, you know, the guys who did work, you were scouting them at the alternate training sites. So, you know, the minor league season is kind of just, you know, not just getting running, but it's, it's, it's kind of moving now. So it may take a little bit more to get a little bit more of an analysis on these guys. So, you know, I, I don't think there's a huge rush 
I think there are guys who would fit. I think there are guys. I, yeah, I'll tell you one name that I hear in the rumor mill. Not, not here in the rumor. I've seen mentioned on Twitter rumor mill is Eduardo Escobar. And of course, Arizona is just, you know, awful right now. I mean, they've, I think, what, like 5-37 overall in their last 42 games, something to that effect. Which hitter with power? And I'll tell you this, they traded him. I can't remember the year now. They kind of all run together for Francisco Liriano. We were in Texas. And, you know, there's some great guys who played for the team and very popular guys. I don't think I've ever seen a clubhouse more, nothing against Liriano, but more upset about a guy leaving than Escobar. When he was, it was a Saturday night, I want to say, and he was told after that game, you know, that he was traded to Minnesota and the clubhouse, you know, he, he, was, he was a great, great guy, great fit in that clubhouse. So there's just a name to keep in mind. And I'm only throwing him out there because he makes sense on a team that has no chance for the postseason, and they have a connection to him and they know what a positive force he was in that clubhouse. So to make a long answer short, you know, I think Rip will try to make a move just like he did last year, at the trade deadline, but he's not going to make some ridiculous move. You know, if you don't know, it's going to guarantee you the next step up type of, type of situation. Kind of take people through uh, deadline moves and how things, at least how you perceive it. I'm sure you've had conversations with folks uh, around the team over your years and years of covering the team, and you have gotten a pretty good idea of this. But kind of take people through it. Is Rick Hahn, after he works out a deal, if he's taking on more salary, is he going and knocking on Jerry's door? And is there any any indication that because he is just getting up to 100% now, and had the COVID year last year, that it might be harder to add to the budget midseason if he had to make a trade and take on salary. Is there anything that's that's floating around the team right now that makes you think that there might be a limit to what Jerry would take on midway through the season? Well, one thing that should be made clear, and I think people understand this, is this is a group effort in the front office. This is not like, you know, Rick Hahn goes and works a deal and, you know, like goes into Jerry's office kind of trepidatiously and says, hey, I have this taken care of. You know, I mean, this is a thing they taught maybe in the later stages. He, you know, goes to Jerry and say, okay, I think we can get this if you, if you agree. But I mean, this is, you know, Rick Hahn, Jerry Reinsdorf, Kenny Williams, Chris Getz, you know, uh, Jeremy Haber, you know, Dan Fabian, the whole front office is working on this. So it's not like it's, you know, one guy or two guys and that's it. You know, Rick has said a couple of times, you know, when he was talking in the off season that they wanted to keep, I think he said some powder dry was the phrase he used to be able to move at the, you know, the trade deadline. So I think they can take on salary. I think they're going to take on a ridiculous amount of salary, but I think they can add salary if it definitely makes the team better. So let's talk about this series this weekend. You know, Sox take two out of three first from Tampa Bay. A lot of people looked at this Tampa Bay-Houston stretch, and I saw a lot of White Sox fans saying, I'll take three out of seven here, and I'd be happy because we're so beat up. And then they take two out of three from Tampa Bay, which essentially says, hey, if we could just win one this weekend, most White Sox fans should be happy. The Sox are also probably in the loudest visitors stadium they have been in to date because as fans are coming back into the stands and everybody's packed back in again, this is a, this is a team with a chip on its shoulder. The Houston Astros fan base. They're the only people in the world that think that what happened in 2017 was a okay. Just like how giants fans always excuse Barry bonds. The Astros fans are excusing the trash cans and they have a chip on their shoulder. So the Sox are an enemy ground and it's loud. Uh, take me through what you think this experience is going to be for this young team over the weekend. And, and what do you think they're going to learn from it? Now I, I will add this, that, you know, I, I think there is a prevailing theme across baseball that there's a ballpark on the North side where the fans have a tough time, um, discerning whether a ball is a home run or ends up as a fly ball to the warning track. And I would argue that there is a depth perception problem with fans across baseball, because there was one Mercedes hit that again, I was looking down writing and I heard it and I looked up and I'm like, oh, is that on the train tracks? And it didn't even, it was about 10 feet short of the warning track. 
So I, I think that's something that needs to be invested. Maybe some sort of scientific study could be done on uh, fans' depth perception of fly balls. But back to the same, yeah, it, it's, it's a raucous place. It's a very good team more than anything else. You know, they're, what, 40 and 28, one of the best offenses in baseball, and a very underrated pitching staff. But it's not going to be fine. And I think, you know, you talk about a young team. Remember, they do have veteran starters out there, though. You know, after Carlos Rodon tonight, who's a veteran in his own right? You have Lance Lynch and Dallas Keiko making his triumphant return to the mound at the place where he won a World Series and pitched for seven years and got a nice tribute and standing ovation last night. So, again, I don't read a ton into, you know, what happens. I mean, I can't think of series off the top of my head, but, you know, I mean, the Sox in 05 went from 15 and a half up to one and a half up. I'm just going with Chicago teams in 16. I think the Cubs went four and 14 before the all-star break or something along those lines. Both those teams were clearly the best team in baseball in that year and both won the world series that year. So I, I wouldn't parse too much individual games. And I think there's too much of that. Sometimes it drops me. I do the same thing. You can look at a lot of my Michigan tweets over the years. And I've declared games over in the first quarter after the first drive of a football game. Now last year I was right on that for the most part, but not so much in years past. So I, I think as long as they, you know, just keep moving in the right direction. Now the, the one thing you got to be leery about is, you know, Cleveland's playing really good baseball and, you know, you want to be to a point by the time you get to those eight games near the end of the year, and especially five in Cleveland where you're either clinched or in control because Cleveland does play the Sox well and does play those Sox very well at progressive field. I think they're three and a half games out before Friday's action. But again, it's all about just getting to the playoffs. You want to win the division, obviously, and they're in good position to do that. I still think that the Sox have to work harder not to win the division. They do to win the division. But just get to the playoffs and take your chances. We, You and I have both seen great playoff teams get there, and they're done in one round. We are great baseball teams. You know, I mean, think of the, the Bomba squad for the Twins a few years ago. And we've seen teams that kind of backed in, like Jim Leland's Tigers a few years back. Tony LaRusse's Cardinals, I think, lost like eight of their last nine. And um, he won the World Series, and Leland got his team to the World Series. So, you know, anything happens in the playoffs. The bottom line is get there, get there healthy. And that's why I think LaRusse playing all these guys is, is a good move for the White Sox right now. Scott Merkin from MLB.com. You can check out all of his stuff. He covers the White Sox. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, listen, Scott, I, I think I know why fans are so bad right now at identifying uh, where the ball is going off the crack of the back. Because they're they're building cup snakes, is that it? Maybe that's the problem. But I mean, <laughs> like, like my, my first game back, I was a little off. I mean, we've all had a break from actually seeing it happen in the ballpark. But by my fourth game, by my third and fourth game, I've been able to tell off the crack of the bat. So I think people will get back to it eventually. You know, this is, this is baseball. You know, this is my profession. It's a lot of people's profession, but it's also a game. It's fun. And if you want to cheer whenever a fly ball goes up, if you want to build a cup snake, if you want to, you know, chant at the left fielder as long as it's not profane and he gets a kick out of it too, like a Rosarena the other day with the Sox fans at Leary Garcia target field, have fun. You know, I mean, there's not everything has got to be, you know, uh, do or make it or break it with every single moment in every single game. Have fun, keep a big picture and, you know, root for your team. That's the biggest thing. And above all else, do not do the wave. That's not allowed. Everything else yes, is fine. Yes, I would agree with that. Stop doing the wave. I think waves look great at college football stadiums where there's 80,000 and 100,000 people. Don't think you need it at baseball games, but that's just our opinion. Yeah, I'm with you, Scott. I'm with you. Thanks a lot for jumping on. We'll talk with you soon. Okay, Chris. Feel better and take care. Hey gang, ever wonder what it's like to be a small business owner? It's confusing, weird expenses coming out of nowhere, and when you throw in health insurance, forget it. Nobody understands how that works. 
if you own a business, big or small, it's one of the biggest expenses you have all year long. And yet, we all wait until open enrollment at the end of the year, and then we think to ourselves, next year, next year I'll get a jump on it. And then it's another year of paying way too much. If you're a business owner, big or small, HR representative that wants to impress the boss, give Butch Zemar of Elite Benefits of America a call. Save yourself or your boss thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars a year. Reach out to Butch right now, 708-535-3006, or shoot him an email, butch at elitebenefits.net. And be sure to check out the Zemar podcast. Don't wait till the last minute. Put Butch Zemar to work for you now. So what do you think about Berger? What do you think about the possibility of a trade? Well, look, the news that Aloy Jimenez is probably coming back earlier than we thought, and let's hope that there's no setbacks or anything like that. Let's just be positive about it. If he comes back earlier than we thought, then we're really talking about renting a guy for the month of July. And I'm not sure that you need to go out and do something huge for that unless, unless it's somebody that can help you next year, in which case you're looking at replacing Adam Eaton or you are looking at whether or not you think your mean Mercedes is going to continue to be a useful player or if he's going to regress down to a point where you're really looking to replace his bat too, right? So if you are the White Sox and you want to make a trade, your trade shouldn't necessarily be limited to just let me rent an outfielder because that's where we're short or let me rent a second baseman because that's where we're short. It may be worth looking at What's going to help this team in this championship window for 2021? What's going to help this team, you know, with what we hope is a repeat effort in 2022 or at least, you know, another opportunity and another opening in the window? And is there a younger guy out there or, you know, a a reasonably priced veteran that you envision as the White Sox, you envision as Rick Hahn and as Tony La Russa being a guy that you're going to plug into this lineup going forward and looking to replace Adam Eaton, who I think everybody is sort of done with, you know, I know he's on the IL right now, but gosh, you know, he really just, he has not lived up to anything. And he's a guy that, that you're just not going to count on going forward. You know, the question marks about rookies like your mean Mercedes or Andrew Vaughn, all of these things are, are situations where you can look at and say, if there's a guy that's already a little bit proven, why don't I go out and get it? And you and I have talked about the name Brian Reynolds and Adam Frazier and guy, you know, these are guys with track records. And Merck brought up Eduardo Escobar, another intriguing possibility. Oh, yeah. Eddie Escobar is always out there for, for the taking. And he's he's a guy that the Diamondbacks will part with him for sure. You know, and, and he's a guy that can definitely help because he can play all over the place, like Merck said. So you're, you're looking at guys like that who are really just pieces that can help you make a difference uh, now. And, you know, again, possibly next year. You better really like that guy because he's not a rental, so he's going to cost a lot more. When you, when you look at the fact that Aloy is coming back, and as we said, we think that uh, if all goes well, let's say beginning of August, and you hear what Merck's talking about, how they, they, they feel like Robert and Aloy could get back here, and that's going to really impact what they go out and get. Would you rather see Aloy stay out in the outfield and Vaughn somehow shimmy over the right field and you go get a bat that can play anywhere that's going to be basically the DH if Mercedes doesn't come around? Or do you keep Vaughn and left and tell Aloy after your injury, you have to be a DH the rest of the year. It's for your own safety. And then you may be targeting an outfielder or at least a guy that can move infield outfield in a trade. 
I think some of that's going to depend on when Robert gets back because if you're relying on Adam Engel every day in center field because Robert's not here, I think you could go target an outfielder very easily and, and do that and say, Aloy, just DH this year, okay? And we'll still get Mercedes a few at-bats. We'll work you in and out of the lineup, but there's a chance your mean's not going to be hitting quite as well or, or even Vaughn's not going to be hitting quite as well by the time the 1st of August comes around. So you're going to have, I think... At the deadline, a f- pretty clear indication of what the outfield will look like starting the first week of August. But I think they are probably better served looking at someone who can either take Madrigal's place and focusing on making sure that they have a second baseman because you're relying on Larry Garcia, you're relying on Danny Mendick, and you're going to rely maybe on Jake Berger if he if he makes a successful transition. But again, you're, you're talking about Berger's a guy who has played very, very limited amounts of professional baseball because of injury. He is not a second baseman by trade. He is having a good start at Charlotte, but he is still a guy that could come up here and absolutely not do anything at the major league level right now because he's just not ready to go. So that's you know a nice story. It's a great story if it happens and if it works out, but I wouldn't count on it. And then Garcia and Mendick are guys that you were targeted as backups. So going out and getting somebody... Adam Frazier or, you know, if the Rockies would give up Ryan McMahon or something like that, where it's a guy that has some flexibility that could be part of a DH platoon, could be an infielder or an outfielder, could move around, spell some other guys, probably a better get than just somebody who's a straight-up rental outfielder, unless it's a guy that you are going to build around for, for the future years and say, this is a guy that we're committed to. And then, you yeah, you're right, you're trading a lot for them, but... That's kind of the point, right? You get to a certain level and you're sitting there going, okay, this is a guy that I believe in that I want here for the next few years, so I am going to give up what it takes to get that guy. And I just don't see a lot of those out there for the Sox either, unless there's somebody that is kind of a hidden gem or something like that. But if you're going to go and trade you know, to, to the Mariners for Mitch Haniger, who can play all three outfield positions, and you're going to have Aloy back, you're going to have Robert back, you're going to have Engel and Vaughn available and Billy Hamilton available for whatever, you know, you believe he's worth, then you're just creating an outfield crowd and maybe one of those guys shifts over to DH, but you're still left with a second base hole. And I think that's where I'm more worried right now is how's that middle infield going to look? Because I think the Sox lineup can keep one position where you're not getting a whole lot of production as long as there's good defense up the middle. So you can probably support Danny Mendick but I wouldn't mind having them go out and get someone who is more like Escobar who could cover second base, who could spell you on at third, who could be the guy that gives them a good bat in the lineup and can cover up you know, what are unfortunately holes that were created by injury around the infield and then let the outfield sort itself out because I feel like there's depth out there with those two guys coming back. And that's all assuming that there won't be another injury and that's why it's important to make a move uh, before you become even more desperate because you might need somebody else in there if, let's say, a T.A. or a Moncada or, uh, you know, uh, an Andrew Vaughn or or an Adam Engel or some, somebody ends up back on the 10-day IL or worse. So you, you want to still have some flexibility. You need to add to this. But I'm telling you right now, if Jake Berger keeps up what he's doing, can play a proficient second base for the next month, He will be here or he will be part of a trade package that brings somebody else in here to help 
before the trade deadline is over. Mark my words, Ed. I guarantee it. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere a podcast can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.